Once I turn my mic on, good evening, everybody. How are you? Having a great evening, I hope. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. This is a safe place to learn evidence-based information about turfgrass science. Yes, I have, I have 312 followers, but they're the 312 best. I had this channel for, I don't know, someone go back and look. Well, maybe I can go back and look. I've had this channel for God knows how long, but, uh, so over 11 years, 11 years I've had this channel, but I used it back ages ago when my, my, uh, mother, um, my, I've always lived as an adult. I've always lived separate from my family. And when I started having, uh, got married and had kids, I did, there was no way to really share videos back then easily. So I opened up a YouTube channel so I could privately share videos of my children with my mother and my, my family in another state. Um, I never really used it. And so I had no followers. Of course, there's nothing on, there's nothing on my channel, but I opened it up a couple months ago and whatever time I started doing these things and we're slowly getting there guys, you know, you guys showing up and participating is, you know, worth my time. So thank you so much for coming in. Aldo and Jesse and Western Math, Mass, LW50, <laughs> Super TA329, Gray. A lot of familiar names in the, in the chat tonight. Thank you for participating. It's going to be a fun night. Might be a little long. Okay. You, you know how long-winded I get sometimes, so I'm going to do my best, but... I have several things I got to go over tonight and uh, we have an author coming on a little later. So, um, first things first is I was running around about to have a heart attack. As you all well know, I don't, I'm not a typical person. I, I stress over times and schedules and I have to be on time or I have to be early. Actually, if I'm five minutes early, I'm, I'm late in my mind. So I'm at the, I'm at the ice rink with my kids. We're, they're practicing the nutcracker on ice or my daughter is and I'm there and it's late we're never there that late at night and I'm looking at my watch and it's like you know 7.45 and they're still out on the ice and I'm looking at it 7.55 they're still out on the ice 8 o'clock comes around I'm doing the math in my head going I can't get home you know get these kids in bed get a shower get in bed get cleaned up say goodnight all these things and be on here by 9 o'clock there's no way so I'm just like, what, what am I going to do? I'm asking the, the coaches or whatever, is, you know, am I, is, is my daughter's part finished for tonight or can we go? Or no, it's not. we got to stay to the end. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I mean, is this, you know, I'm just like, hey, they're just going to have to wait on YouTube. I mean, there's nothing I can do. And then I picked up my iPad that my son was watching videos on in the, in the, out in the concession stand room or whatever. And it said 7 p.m. I forgot to change the time on my wristwatch. So I, I hadn't changed the time yet. So it was 7 p.m., not 8 p.m. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Give me a heart attack because I can't remember to change my, the time on my watch. Anywho, um, so that was, you know, my stress moment of the day. I'm going to take you guys to my channel. I want to show you a few things that I've been working on on, my, on the YouTube channel real quick. And um, hopefully I can do this. I don't know exactly what screen it's going to show oh, there we go it worked let me fix this real quick um i want to show you a little bit of what what to what you guys can um do and i don't know not do and whatever on my channel so what i've done in the last couple of um days or whatever yeah i might have to go back and fix this later because it's i had it set earlier for something else as I've, I've categorized the, the, the videos and the documents that I've been going over, the, um, the uh, scientific articles, into different categories that might, I think might make it easier for you all to find whatever area that you're interested in. So let's say you, you're interested in, um, well, today's thatch. You're interested in thatch. Well, to find it through all these videos that I've been making, there's 30 or 40 videos now, might be a little challenging. So what I did was, hopefully you guys can see this, yeah. So there's a first part here, which is tonight. And then um, these for you thing, I don't even know what that is. I don't, I'm not sure what that is. But then I have like the past streams. So these are on chronological order, what I've done sort of going backwards in time. But then I've categorized, like if you want to go back and see something, um, a guest or an author that I've had on, I have a category called guests now. 
So you can just look underneath that category um, for any any author that I've had on. If you want to look at nitrogen, and that's for some reason you're interested in looking at something on nitrogen, you can just go to that playlist and, and search through there. So if you click on nitrogen, I don't know what it's going to do. Yeah, so you can see all the various um, videos that contain a topic about nitrogen. Okay. I'm treading on thin water, thin ice here. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. Okay, here we go. Okay. So, so I have phosphorus, I have potassium, and then I have just turf grass epistemology as the whole thing. But you can also just go to um, the top here and go to playlists. And I have other playlists that I haven't don't have on the front page. So the playlists are warm season turf, fallacies. There's only one in that one um, for now. Clippings is a category, slow release fertilizers, carbohydrates, and so forth. And so as we continue to go through the, the uh, scientific literature, I'll continue to add either playlists or add uh, the articles and the, the shows into those playlists. So if you're interested in roots, for example, here's a, here's an entire um, playlist just on roots. I have, only have two videos in there right now, but for cool season fall fertility, we've been going over that. There's 18 videos um, listed uh, as cool season fall fertility topics. So my, my idea is to kind of have a, 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 a library of content that you can easily kind of go and find at least the general topic instead of having to meander through all the very all the videos and which video was he talking about with that topic and i know we talked about phosphorus on some video well at least you can narrow it down a little bit with phosphorus i have six videos you can at least click on that and you know have a better chance of finding whatever it happens to be that you're looking for okay so um hopefully that helps if, if that's um, something you've found yourself challenged to, to go find, you know, various content or whatever. But um, we're going to be moving into warm season grasses and all sorts of stuff. And so there'll be other playlists come up, but um, and there'll be other nutrients come up like there's no micronutrient category here. And there's at least 10 or 15 um, papers I have that I'll go over on micronutrients and turf grasses and so forth. So um, anyway, that's for you guys to hopefully be able to to use the content here and find content here a little easier. So look forward to that. Uh, well, it's already done. So please feel free to use it. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about how to measure thatch. It's a pretty easy document to go through. Um, it, how, what's the more um, effective or most accurate method of measuring thatch, which um, we're going to find that is something that you can actually do just as accurately as I can do. A lot of times in science, we have all these instruments and, really complex ways of measuring, you know, orthophosphate and all these things that you really don't have an ability to do accurately anyway. Um, but in this case you do, you have a very, you have just as much ability to measure accurately the thatch as, as scientists do. So we're going to, uh, go through that today. I also have a, um, a website that I want to, I'm going to show you a few things. Uh, I want to show you two websites and I'm and I, I hesitate to do this because it's a little bit um, it's a little bit out there. I mean, it's it's a little bit further down the epistemological road than I really wanted to do this early in the channel. But um, I figure, why not? It came up a week or so ago, and coincidentally, another video, another uh, um, article came up on a different website. I think it was just a, like a couple days ago. And I thought I would um, at least introduce the concept of the three logical absolutes. So I'm not going to go into the whole um, religion and all these things in terms of beliefs and everything. But in the war, in my world, I have to pre, we all have to presuppose something is true. We, you can keep, just keep going backwards in time, backwards and backwards and just do an infinite regress until at some point, you realize that you have to presuppose something in order to base your um, reality on and your beliefs on. You can't, you know, you have to presuppose, you know, we exist, for example, or whatever. Um, that goes into the whole Descartes, um, you know, <laughs> solipsism issue. And I'll go into that at some point in the future. But the, 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 there's three logical absolutes that I presuppose to be true. And the one that I'm going to talk about today is the, um, there's the three logical absolutes are, um, identity, non-contradiction and excluded middle. So the, the non-contradiction is what I'm going to discuss today. In other words, I can't both be and not be simultaneously. Um, I can't 
I can't be in, well, I don't know. That's, that's silly. I was going to go somewhere else with that, but you, you, you get the idea. I can't, you, you either exist or you do not exist. I have to presuppose that's true. And so in the world of turf grass, um, if something, if something is either true or it is not true and under the, under similar conditions, under the same identical conditions, assuming that that's the case. And then what I wanted to show with these articles is one article says, this is true. Another article says, this is true. And they both are not, they're not the same. They're, they're direct logical negations of the other. So I want to show that as an example to express that concept in, um, in, in philosophy. So let's get to the first article I wanted to show. And that is, <clears throat> I had this all set up to, to show, and then I had to move the, the internet screen, but it's, it's, it's a website called woodlandswater.org. And I don't know if, what they do and don't do. I guess you can go there here and go through here and look, but this is an article posted, um, October 17th of 2023. So just a month ago. And the title of it is earthworms free fertilizer for lawns. Now, if you're in the turf grass world for any length of time, at some point soon, or if you've been in it for ages, you come across numerous homeowners and, you know, natural, you know, huggy feely people that love earthworms. They, they, you know, earthworms are great. And, and it's an ident it's, it's a um, sign of a healthy soil, right? I mean, you know, earthworms are great for the garden and, you know, good for your lawn and good for your soils and it's signs of healthy, healthy soils and so forth. And I'm not, I'm not going to argue that at all. I'm just going to say that's their position oftentimes. And we shouldn't apply pesticides and we shouldn't do all these things because it's horrible for earthworms, horrible, horrible for biodiversity. You know, I've even had, there's even a lady I watched a video on where it says, she says, um, lawns are a biological wasteland biologically they're it's a desert which is obviously untrue and it's not, it's not accurate, but they'll say things like this. And this article, I want to, it's extremely short. I can read it in probably 30 seconds or a minute. I wanted to read through here and see this, this position that this author has. This is written by a man named Bob Daly. Um, and again, the title's earthworms, free fertilizer for lawns. Um, it, uh, there's a quote here. He has at the beginning. It may be doubted that there are many other animals which have played so important a part in the history of the world as have these lowly organized creatures. I don't know who made that quote. I guess that's Charles Dar Darwin. He has a Charles Darwin quote here. Um, so the article starts, the best method to judge the health of the soil beneath a lawn is to discover how many earthworms are present. So right from the beginning, he's going to assume that the number of earthworms in the lawn is directly related to the health of the soil, which again, I'm not going to argue that I'm just going to point out his, his, position earthworms can restore the hard pan of a compacted dirt so pre earthworms can restore the hard pan of compacted dirt so prevalent in lawns uh, I, have, I have no idea if that's true or not but he's making a claim there their their castings are rich in nutrients nitrogen phosphorus and potassium three major elements necessary for plant growth and photosynthesis castings also contain magnesium carbon calcium all very important plant nutrients in just one year, a thousand earthworms and their descendants can transform one ton of organic waste into high yield fertilizer. I, I have no idea if that's true. Could be true. Could not be true. I have no clue. Some important ways earthworms help transform, transform the soil. They, so they, he's going to list some things here that are apparently beneficial. They tunnel through the soil, aerating it as they go. Now that's true, but I mean, it's not aerating it in the sense that we, when we think of aeration and turf grass, but uh, their channels also allow water to enter and penetrate the soil more quickly. Again, I'm not, don't assume any of this is true and don't assume any of it is not true. He's just making statements. Grass roots can also grow better in soil loosened by earthworms, resulting in a deeper root system and healthier lawns. Number four, earthworms neutralize the soil, either lowering the alkalinity or raising the acidity. Turf grass likes soil near the, near to the middle between acid, acidic and alkaline. So this claim is saying that they'll both raise the soil pH and lower the soil pH. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know if it's true. Earthworms consume organic material like thatch. Now that's a, that's a claim we can actually measure. And we know that they, as far as I'm aware, that's not true, but I could be wrong on that. I'll have to look it up. Worms can compose, can compost four times quicker than a well-managed composting bin, a large population. And then the last one, a large population of earthworms 
helps control pests. Many soil-borne diseases are reduced significantly when earthworms are present. So there's a whole bunch of claims there that are positive. Okay, so we're going to finish this up. There's just one more little paragraph here. How to attract earthworms. And this is where it kind of goes off the rails. Spread three quarters of an inch of organic material twice a year onto the lawn. Mid-October and mid-April are the best times. You, you, this is the second one. Use a mulching lawnmower and let the clippings drop it back onto the lawn. Earthworms will bring much of this material below ground to eat and digest. Number three. Don't use pesticides or use them in extreme moderation. Choose organic pesticides if necessary. Pesticides are indiscriminate and kill earthworms and other beneficial organisms. Go to the last one. I'm going to come back then. Don't use man-made chemical fertilizers. Chemical fertilizers contain sulfuric and hydrochloric acids, which are deadly to earthworms. Few worms exist in soils treated with chemicals. Use organic fertilizers instead. Uh, and then he says there is no need to add earthworms to your lawn. There are, you know, earthworms are in the air. They'll be attracted. Okay. So he's made numerous claims and so forth. And I have no, I have no reason to believe any of it's true. He's just making a bunch of claims. He hasn't provided any sort of evidence. And as we talked about just a day or two ago, I don't need to provide any evidence to refute it. He hasn't provided any evidence to support it. So I'm not convinced it's true and I'm not convinced it's not true. I don't know. I'd have to go look it up, but his claims and the last are about pesticides. Don't use pesticides or use them in extreme moderation. Choose organic pesticides. Pesticides are indiscriminate and kill earthworms and other organisms. Now, if you're in turf grass, particularly if you're in sport turf or if you're in golf or sod, lawn care is a little different because they have a little bit higher cut grass and it's a little less of an issue. But you know if you're in those uh, tight cut grasses at 500 or below that earthworms in some, in some instances can be devastating to uh, the surface playability. Because they'll, the, the castings are, are a nuisance for ball roll, for footing, for just the looks, for mowing. It's awful. So in, in turf grass, we are often trying to find ways, um, safe ways, to control the population of earthworms because it's so great in many cases. Even when we're applying uh, herbicides, for example, or even insecticides, for example, we're applying you know, pesticides to control pests in some cases. And even in those cases, earthworms will still thrive. So the turf grass system in many locations are, is really a garden made to grow earthworms, even in the presence of pesticides. We're all very familiar with this. Okay. When he says, don't use man-made chemical fertilizers, um, you know, basically he's saying synthetic fertilizers and he's, he's arguing that synthetic fertilizers are deadly hydrochloric acids and sulfuric acids are are deadly to earthworms. Now, again, I'd have to go look it up to find evidence. I don't need to find evidence. All I know, all I, all I can tell you is there's no reason to believe it, but his position is this is true. Okay. Fertilizers kill earthworms and pesticides kill earthworms. Let's just assume for the sake of discussion tonight that all of that is true. Okay. Let's go to another article. Now, if you're on Twitter at all, you, you've probably come across probably the single-handedly most viewed turf video in the history of turf videos came out about a month ago from an assistant superintendent over in Arizona. Her video on Twitter has been viewed 33 million times. I think her name is M. Oh, let me look it up. Um, I don't, I didn't have Twitter pulled up to look at it. I can't, where is it at? It's E.M. Oh, there it was. I had it. E.M. Casey. M. Casey. So it's at E.M. Casey with a C. Turf. And uh, I looked at it. So it's still at 33 million. Okay. So that video was viewed so many times. CNN picked it up. So CNN, I'm going to fix this real quick because I had it fixed earlier. and I, I moved everything. CNN picked up... Um, Miss, I guess her name's Miss Casey. I don't, I don't know what her, her actual, her real name is. Um, I'm going to make this a little bit easier to read for you guys. Picked it up and they have a, have a, 
article and it says an Arizona golf course is under attack from a squadron of pig-like creatures. Remember, we're talking about earthworms and this gentleman saying fertilizers and chemicals kill earthworms and don't use chemicals and don't use, you know, synthetic fertilizers and all these things because it's awful for earthworms. This and that was specifically to your yard, to turf grass is what he was saying. Well, in Arizona, and I've seen this in Florida, I don't know how many times where turf gets ripped up okay by varmints that's an oklahoma way of saying an animal (laughs) okay so here you can see a photo for those listening i'm showing a photo of a fairway um of where was the what was the art where's the at the arizona sunshine seven canyons in the morning okay so it's i guess it's seven canyons country club i thought I, i thought they had it listed here real quick early on but i don't see it anyway showing a fairway beautiful fairway beautiful golf course, some mountains in the background, nice sky and turf is just ripped up out of this fairway. Now on her video on Twitter, she shows acres and acres and acres in the rough in the fairway on tees everywhere. Turf is just tore up bad. Okay. So let's read through this and see what, what's going on. Um, growling, crackling teeth, the rumble of hooves, as night falls on one of the United States' most scenic golf clubs, sinister noises reverberate off the Red Rock Canyon walls. And when the Arizona sunshine breaks over seven canyons in the morning, destruction is revealed. Sprawling mounds of ravaged turf blot the 7,000-yard course like open wounds, soil and grass strewn in all directions across otherwise pristine fairways. The perpetrators? Javelina, a pig-like creature with raking canine teeth whose capacity for chaos is in the town of Sedona, has seen them become a viral sensation. When you come upon them and see them, it's like the Tasmanian Devil, Seven Canyons General Manager Dave Bisbee told CNN. There's turf flying all over the place. There's grunting. There's fighting. For rather small creatures, they do a lot of damage. They can rototill some turf with those teeth. It is really disturbing when you see it. Okay. So, and they have a picture here of one of these. It's just like a little hog is what it looks like. I don't know if it's technically a hog, but it looks like a little hog. Um... I'm going to skip through some of this. Uh, with a white collar ring, gray, gray black fur, javelina typically grow three to four feet long and 19 inches tall, weighing in any, anywhere between 40 and 60 pounds with a seven and a half year average lifespan, according to the Arizona State Department of Game and Fish. Common to the desert areas, yet adaptable to, range in the ha- to a range of habitats, they have predominantly herb- herbivorous diet of cacti, bulbs, and other plants, but will also eat garbage, insects, and fatefully... For Seven Canyon staff, worms. Okay. So, located at the base of Vermilion Cliffs and encircled by the Coconino National Forest, the private course, with its nutrient-rich fairways and bountiful water hazards, presents an irresistible all-you-can-eat and drink buffet for a species looking to fatten up for the winter. Earthworms, wriggling in the top few inches of grass, are a particular delicacy for the javelina which are not strictly nocturnal, but all are most active at dark. Consequently, 25 to 30 strong, 30 strong herds, also known as squadrons, churn up expanses of turf in search of a midnight snack. Okay, so they go on through here. They show, they show the course, an aerial photo of the course without the damage. And um, they talk about you know the various things about the javelina and so forth. But... Basically, and they talk about the cost, several hundred thousand dollars in damage. There's a photo of, of one fairway. It looks like, yeah, it's a fairway here. Real, you know, huge damage, lots and lots of damage to this uh, turf grass, which is unfortunate. I mean, you know, I, I, I get that. Um, it's it's not it's not going to be easy to replace that. You're going to it's probably going to have to resod it. They're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in repair and labor and all these things. Okay, but that's that's not what I want. The point was. Oh, her name is Emily Casey. Okay, the lady who posted the, the video is called. Her name is Emily Casey. Apologize to her if she's listening to this that I miss I misspoke about your name. Um, so. Um, that's all I want to talk about in terms of that that particular article. There's a there's a golf course in Arizona that's getting devastated and destroyed from a hog that's digging up turf grass to eat the earthworms. So you've created an environment that is incredibly fertile for biodiversity. Turf grass systems, the soil turf grass system, is extremely diverse, and you have another person on the other spectrum saying, "Don't apply chemicals. Don't apply." Uh, synthetic fertilizers it's going to kill earthworms 
Now you can't have both under the same setting. You can't have that's that's it comes back to the the, the logical absolute where it's a non-contradiction. You can't have one person saying it's going to kill all the earthworms and another situation saying this hog's tearing up all this grass because he's eating all the earthworms on my golf course. And I'm assuming they're applying fertilizer under BMPs and they're following the proper best management practices, which is in, which includes IPM and some pesticide usage and so forth like that. I'm assuming all that's the case it may not be true, but I'm assuming they're applying some fertilizer and they're applying some pesticides and there's earthworms everywhere. So you have one person saying yes. And one person saying not yes. Right. And I mean, Emily Casey's not saying that, but they're showing examples where, you know, clearly earthworms exist in settings where there's plenty of turf and there's plenty of nutrients and plenty of pesticides and more than likely being applied under BMP, um, uh, regular boundaries. Okay. So how do we, how do we approach this? I mean, I'm, you know, how, how do you determine who's right and who's wrong? I'm assuming that what she's showing is accurate. Could not be, I don't know. I'm not there. I'm assuming that they're, uh, that, that, that javelin is eating earthworms. They could, I don't know. I'm not a javelin expert. I have no idea. I'd have to go look it up. I'm inclined to believe them. I'm looking at photographs. I'm looking at, you know, experts saying that that's what happens, but I don't know that for sure. And then I have another person saying, well, don't apply all these chemicals because it's going to kill all the earthworms. I don't know that for sure. Okay. So I'm in a situation where you have two people saying things that can't both simultaneously be true. And that's what, this is what epistemology is about. How do we know what we know and how we find these answers is to go explore the literature, go and look at Google scholar, look at turfgrass information file. You have to do a little background look, but the, we know the both can't be true. And when you go and you look in the literature, this turfgrass literature for, or you just go to, go to turfgrass information file and type, type in earthworms. You're going to have a whole bunch of articles pop up and normally there, there are articles by entomologists trying to figure out how to have a have a safe way to control them because their populations are so high on turf grass. Okay, under conditions of you know normal turf management, the populations are usually quite high, and they're trying to figure out well what is what is a product that we can use or management practices that we can employ or follow that would minimize the amount of earthworms because there's so many they're actually a nuisance or a hazard sometimes. So that's how I'd find the evidence. That's how I would find out who's accurate, who's correct here. Okay. So I wanted to just kind of throw that out there as a means to explore, you know, maybe a little bit further down the road, we'll go into a little bit more depth of those, you know, deep philosophical positions on epistemology. You know, we, we have three things that I absolutely must presuppose to be true. These are the only things I pre the only three things I presuppose to be true are Identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. And the non-contradiction is what I just discussed, discussed today. You can't have and not have simultaneously. You can't be and not be simultaneously. And um, so anyway, I wanted to show that. Um, you know, good good job to Emily to put those video that video online. Great. I'm glad she shows a lot of times. We don't like to show, you know, the course getting messed up. We don't want to show, you know, but she did and it got out and we have more uh exposure on what golf is and what we, what we go through and the turf grass management practices. And, and, you know, there's a lot of hardworking people doing a good job. They're going to have to come in and fix this up. And, and there's reasons, um, why we develop BMPs and, and it's important that, uh, we, we do our best to, to, you know, get the information out there of what we do in the golf courses and, and the, the sort of the lives that we live, that they live in the golf course world. And so, uh, so thank you, Emily, for putting that out. And I'm glad you got so many views on that. I hope you got a lot of people following you now on Twitter. So um, where is, uh, well, there's a lot of chat here. I may have to go go back through it. But um, anyway, I appreciate you guys um, chatting. So now let's get into the article, uh, the Thatch article that, let's see, where is it at? Now I said I have an author coming on. Now, uh, well, let's just get into it. So the, the, we're we're going to be going over thatch for the next month or whatever. And um, there's you, the articles that I'm going to be going over. Well, they'll look at thatch, uh, various management practices and chemicals and these various things about how to manage thatch and minimize thatch buildup and hasten its decay. And the, the various variables that influence the growth of thatch and the development of thatch. 
and through because of that, they're con we have to figure out a way to measure it. We, we've, there's various ways we can measure it. One way we can measure it is to just simply directly measure the depth of the thatch, the thickness using a ruler. Okay. Another way we can measure it is to weigh it, dry it, and then weigh it and measure its mass. A third way we can measure it is through compression. We can com we can compress the the surface of the turf without removing a core, and from compression we can attempt to measure the depth or the change in thatch over time. And then you can simply do a straight organic matter percentage on the thatch. You can just digest the whole thing, and um, you know measure organic matter that way. I got a I got a pet in my backyard apparently today and making some noise. I may have to let me know if it gets a little bit too much. I'll go shut the window. So there's f at least four unique ways of measuring thatch. But there are differences between those four in terms of their precision, but also their accuracy. And so I wanted to show this article as as a means to kind of set the stage as we go through future future articles so you know hey they measured thatch this way and we already know that that way is is the most accurate or the most reliable method if they measured thatch a different way let's say they measured thatch through compression which is extremely common in the 70s in the 80s they measured thatch through compression then the results in my opinion are a little bit questionable and I'm going to show you exactly why I have that position on this particular article. So without further ado, let's get the, um, the author in here, which is me. <laughs> so, so, um, I guess four or five years ago, um, Dr. Under and myself, uh, decided to put the, put together this article that he was doing, um, an in-depth research project on zoysia grass thatch management which unfortunately sorry brian we haven't published yet because it's so involved I, I was just like oh my god that's a lot of work and as you know thatch is not my um bread and butter it's not exactly you know i don't get up thinking about thatch in the morning okay so we didn't publish that component yet but during that study, they were doing top dressing and verticutting and all these things. During that study, they were measuring thatch four different ways as a means to get the best, you know, most accurate, you know, measurement of how these various treatments affected the thatch development. And so I talked to Brian, and I was like, I think we can just get out a paper on just on that alone. You know, which one of these methods should we be using, you know, on, on zoysia grass? And so we put out this paper. It's the, the title of the paper is called Correlating Methods of Measuring Zoysia Grass Thatch. Now, I have not highlighted anything in here as far as I know, but I wrote it, so I should be able to make my way through here without too much problem, I hope. Um, I haven't read this particular paper in a little while, but um, I'll, I'll read through just some basic introduction so you kind of have an idea of the methods that have historically been used. Um, so here we go. This oh this this paper was published in Crop Science. And by the way, I don't know if he's in here tonight. I won't call him out because I don't want to I don't want to embarrass him if he doesn't want to. But I've been getting a few emails here and there. I, I really appreciate emails. I tend to to do better with emails than I, I'm not real good about putting stuff online. I don't really feel comfortable doing that a whole lot. But if you send me an email and have a question, um, I'm more likely to kind of engage with you on emails and um one of my normal audience members who's who's around he might be here today um asked me about the various journals uh, just today i think it was and i, I mentioned i'm going to go through the journals and i and i will go through the journals i'm going to rank the journals from my perspective as to which ones are more um competent and conf you, know, you can be confident with the with the content than others but crop science is almost at the very top of that list so when i say crop science the reason i point this out is because I want you all to know as the audience that the, the information in here has gone through a robust review and criticism process before it's published. Okay, so it's not it's not that the information is guaranteed to be 100% accurate, but 
your confidence in it should be pretty strong if it's in crop science. Okay. As opposed to other journals, which I'm going to go into, but thank you for sending me that email. Um, and, um, it, it, you know, it'll encourage me to go ahead and move that episode up a little bit more in my, in my schedule to go ahead. And, and so you all know what I'm talking about when it comes to the differences in journals and the qualities and the, of the information and so forth. Okay. Let me get my little pin out here. Okay. So I'm right up here. Thatch is the intermingled organic layer of dead and living shoots, stems, and roots of grasses that develop between the turf canopy and the soil surface. So it's dead and living sort of intermingled dead and living shoot stems and roots. Uh, although naturally occurring, excessive thatch may result in reductions in turf quality and playability. Therefore, thatch management is a common and in many cases necessary practice to ensure acceptable turf grass quality and performance. Okay, so numerous methods are used to measure thatch, including weight loss on ignition. Let me explain that real quick. So weight loss on ignition is you take a known, you dry out a sample and you, you take a known mass of tissue and you put it in a muffle for a furnace that it, it, it's so hot it combusts all the material on it and turns it into a gas essentially and the only thing left behind is a very very small amount of ash okay so you weigh it before it goes in you put it into a furnace i can't remember the temperature i think it's 500 degrees celsius like but i can't i haven't done those procedures in ages um, and you combust it and then uh, whatever got turned into gas uh was organic and anything that's remaining as ash was mineral and didn't didn't gas off so that that's the way you can measure to basically total organic matter weight loss on ignition for for organic matter rulers for depth so you can just simply take a ruler or a caliper measure the depth of the fat the thatch the thickness balances for weight so you just dry it you take a sample you separate out the thatch you take remove the roots remove the, the clippings and you have the thatch and you dry it off and you weigh it or there's something called a thatch meter for compression and i'm going to show you a photo of what that is but basically it's an instrument that you put on the thatch that, that compresses the thatch down to a certain depth and based upon the depth that the that the um the plunger or the weight compresses the turf you can relate that to the thickness of the thatch well supposedly you can do that we're going to find out in this this uh, paper that that's not completely accurate so those are the four ways. Okay. Um, and then I go, what I do is I go through here, the various, um, methods and I show the various, the past literature that has, that have used those methods and how they used it and all this other stuff. Um, and I'm not going to go into that. I don't think it's pertinent to what we're going to talk about today. I talk about weight loss on ignition, talk about depth by rulers and all those various authors that have done that or many of them. Um, but Volk, who was a professor at university of Florida, published a paper in 1972 he first designed and compared the thatch meter to thatch depth and weight of bermuda grass of weight of bermuda grass greens so he in 1972 dr volk at um, university of florida created a thatch meter and it was then known as the volk thatch meter that uh he measured he compared it to the thatch depth and weight of bermuda grass he determined that the correlation between the thatch meter and the depth and weight were significant at the 0.001 level. So what that means is there's a 99.9% .9 chance that there, the correlation was at, was there, but no correlation coefficients were reported. So I don't know, even though there, even though the correlation was significant, meaning that there's a 99.9% .9 chance that there is a correlation. I don't know what the correlation was because he didn't report it. In other words, the correlation could have been 5% which have been useless to us, or it could have been 95%, which would have been great. Like a R squared of 0.95 would have been fantastic. We don't, I don't know. He didn't report it. Additionally, after calculating the ratios of compression between areas of high and low thatch, Volk 72 noted that the sensitivity of the instrument was reduced when measuring thatch greater than 600 grams per square centimeter. Okay. So I'm, I'm not going to go through and bore you to tears with all the other stuff, but basically the thatch meter was used regularly in Florida, maybe other places as well. Um, and the reason why it was used, let me just go down here and show it to you. Here's the thatch meter right here. The reason why this was used is because it's non-destructive and it's fast. So if you're going to do a weight loss on ignition, you have to take a sample and you have to burn it. If you're going to do um, the depth by ruler, you have to take a sample and you have to measure it. Uh, what was the other one? Um, 
weight loss ignition depth by ruler. And what was the, what was the other ones I did? I can't remember. Oh, weigh it. So if you're going to weigh it, you got to take a sample, you got to dry it, you got to separate it out and you got to weigh it. All that's very time consuming. Thatch work. I, I don't know what I dislike more thatch work or root work. Cause it's just so time consuming. It's so labor intensive. It just ugh, takes a lot of time. Well, this meter comes along in 1972, and what you do is you put this wooden device on the, the turf, and I have this tilted back slightly in this photograph. And the reason is I wanted to show in the, in the photograph, down here below the base is a little plunger right here. Okay, guys, can you see that down here? There's a little plunger, and this weight here, this, this lead weight, there's a hole in this wooden base. And that plunger goes through that wooden hole, or the, through the hole of the wooden base, and creates a known force on the turf. And I forget what it is. I think it's the weight of a 200-pound man. They had some, uh, the size of a golf ball and the weight of a 200-pound man. They had some sort of reason why they chose the weight. I can't remember the, 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 re the reason. But the, when the plunger goes down, it pulls on this little pulley system. And this rod coming up through here goes to a little... Uh, wooden scale looking thing and on this are 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 numbers on this little on this little uh curved wooden frame here this little pin there's this 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 metal rod goes up through here and there's a little metal pin right here and it and it tells you it's a gauge it tells you how far the plunger went into the turf okay that's that's what the volt thatch meter is and they had a he came up with the second one this i think this is actually the second one um, and, but the reason why it was so, it became so popular or it maybe was then, I don't know, but it, the reason is because it's fast. It's, you don't have to rely upon a lot of time and labor and money to pay someone to sit there and measure all this thatch. Okay. Um, so it, it makes sense why it was in, but they were interested in using it. Okay. But we're going to find out, spoiler alert, that it's not reliable. Okay. So it's, it's just not a reliable method of measuring thatch. So if you, so the reason I'm saying that is when we're going to go back and read through those papers, we're going to go through and read them. I mean, I don't have a problem reading the papers and explaining them or whatever, but you have to, you, you have to read it with the understanding that there's a tremendous amount of variation. And I'm going to show you in this paper exactly the magnitude of variation from this instrument compared to other methods so you can have a feeling of the of you know the context the um, you know to know oh that, that is significant or it's not significant okay uh i'm not going to go through the whole materials and methods because um it just describes all the uh the, the projects methods and we don't even really show that here all i'm going to show was the the methods of measuring thatch um okay oh this is oh that was the result oh this is the result so i already skipped i accidentally skipped through the, the materials and methods but it, this was let me just read through where it was so this was conducted in june from june 20, 2013 through october 2015 okay so it was it was three years of and so in, in jay on warm season grasses this is zoysia it doesn't really start growing there till about may june and then it shuts down in october november so you're talking about a whole 2013 all of 2014 and all of 2015 so three full years of growing seasons that um his technician set up there and measured all this thatch there's a lot of work up in jay so jay if you don't know where jay is jay is near pensacola florida that's the easiest way to know to kind of get an idea where it is so it's on the gulf coast and then farthest northwest corner of florida as you can possibly get probably and still be in florida Okay, so there were we had nitrogen fertility treatments, top dressing treatments, verticutting treatments. I'm not going to show any of that other than just the Nova table. I'm going to explain it real quickly on the Nova table. But the secondary objective of this study was to compare the standard thatch measurement techniques to modify the techniques designed to measure thatch more rapidly. Okay, so that secondary objective is what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to talk briefly about the results from the first objective, but it won't take five minutes. Now. We did this on five, I think it was five different zoysia grasses. Let me look. So zo we did zoysia japonica. We did, um, for, it was formerly known as ultimate flora. That was one cultivar. We did empire zoysia. We did jammer zoysia. 
So we did three Japonica cultivars, and then we did some Matrella cultivars. The Matrella cultivars, for those who may not be familiar with that, are more like putting green height zoysia grasses. So the Japonicas are more turf grasses that you might find in your lawn. You might find them on uh, fairways or, or tees. Um, and the Matrellas you'd find on greens, okay? And the Matrella cultivars were Tacoa Green and Xeon. All right, so we had two Matrellas and three Japonicas. And we go through all this other stuff, all the various things and all the, I'm gonna exp all the, all the treatments and the split, split plots and all, and all the mess. I don't wanna bore you guys to death with all that junk. But um, they were mowed uh, for, oh, so the four methods of measurements were compression using the thatch meter, organic matter percentage determined by the weight loss on ignition, the depth measured using a ruler, and mass measured using a balance. So I had four ways of measuring the thatch. The thatch meter was custom built to match the original thatch meter designed by Volk 1972 with the following exception. The shaft and the compression weight was fitted with a two centimeter extension to use the thatch meter on higher cut turf grass. So Volk did it on putting greens. We're doing it on putting greens and on higher cut turf being the Japonicas. So we just use a little bit longer um, uh, plunger shaft, weight, whatever you want to call it. What was it? Oh, the shaft? So the, the shaft going through the bottom of this was just a little longer. It's the only difference. Other than that, it's identical to Thatch's design. I mean, to Volk's design. Uh, okay. Now, the we measured the mass using a scale. We we measured the, 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 the compression using um, the Thatch meter. We measured the um, weight loss on ignition using an oven. Then we measured, I want to show you guys this, because we measured the thickness uh, within six hours of cork extraction, the ruler thatch measurements were made using a digital OEM vernier caliper OEM tools on two random cores from each subplot. So this caliper is, you can go to Granger and buy these little calipers. It looks, uh, you're probably all familiar, very, very familiar with them. So it's a caliper that you just put over the thatch and you you turn it and it and it comes down and as, as they, uh, there's two little metal metal teeth and you just, you just compress, don't compress it. You just move one down until you know that you know that it's, it's touching the top and the bottom and then it has the the depth there on a little gauge and you just that's the depth so very simple you could you could use a ruler too it's just the caliper is a little bit quicker um and it's a little bit more accurate than just looking at a ruler and actually kind of okay that's you know 2.6 centimeters you can just use a, a caliper and do it quicker i wanted to make sure that's clear because this is what's going to end up being the the method that is uh, recommended so just get a just get a caliper okay so i'm gonna get into i'm gonna show this real quick i'm not gonna um, go into this this looks uh, in a great depth but what i'm showing for those listening is i'm showing type 3 tests of fixed effects so what this is is an analysis of variance but it's using glimmics no that's boring to everybody but for the grad students and the professors who might be listening they know what i'm talking about it's all it is is a, is the most current sort of anova analysis of variance that's all you need to know here's all the cultivars on the left we have empire jammer ba 189 and then tocoa green and zeon down at the bottom and what you have is the, the fixed effects are verticutting top dressing fertilizing okay and then you have all the interactions okay and the three-way interactions right i don't want to bore you don't don't lose don't don't turn it off yet okay i'm just going to show you a couple things when you, when you, the columns are organic matter, depth, mass, and compression. Okay. The depth, the only thing that affected the thickness of the thatch when you're measuring it using the caliper, remember we're verticutting, we're top dressing, we're fertilizing. We have all of the interactions of those three. None of it influenced the thickness of the thatch on any of the, any of the Japonicas. But on the Matrellas, the Tacoa Green and the Xeon, the only thing that affected it was the top dressing on the Tacoa Green and the top dressing on the Xeon. So top dressing had an influence on the thickness of the thatch for those two zoysia grass cultivars being Matrella, the Matrella species, I guess, or the however you say it, the Matrella zoysias. But the, the Japonicas had no influence. Nothing affected it when you measured it using a caliper. Okay. Verticutting didn't, didn't help. Top dressing didn't help. And the fertility didn't help. Usually fertility will actually increase it. But fertility in this case did not increase. It didn't influence it. Okay. Now, when you look at the other ones, 
when you measured it using the organic matter, being the weight loss on ignition, you'll, you're going to see differences. You're going to see on the, the empire, you saw um, top dressing and fertilize, fertilization have an influence. On the jammer, you had, saw top dressing have an influence. On the BA-189, it had an influence. There was, inter- there was interaction between verticutting and fertility on BA-189 on, uh, on uh, using organic matter, weight loss ignition. So you're seeing a lot of differences that did not exist when you measured it using the ruler, when you used weight loss on ignition. Let's go to mass where you just do it on a scale. You're going to see differences. You're going to see these, these differences still exist, okay? You're going to see all these differences, right? Similar to the organic matter by weight loss ignition, you're going to see differences if you measure it using mass. When you when you measure it using the compression or the Volk thatch meter, there's fewer differences, but you still see differences beyond that of the depth by ruler. Okay, so you might look at this and go, well, the depth by ruler probably is not good. I mean, you don't want to use the depth by ruler because you're only showing two, two areas where there's differences, right? You're showing all these differences from all these other other methods of measuring it. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay, Eric. Eric, you might, I think, I think it was you where Eric says, Hey, I actually do appreciate the stats. It does help to describe the confidence of the results. I think it was you that mentioned something about the robot mowers too. You must be in the world of stats or science or something. I don't know. I may have to, may have to chit chat with you more about it, but yeah, these are all the stats. If you're so if you're a stats nerd like myself, then you know this is gonna <laughs> turn you on, I guess. But look at the F values. For those, if you're interested in thatch, I mean you're talking about huge F values, 637, 88. I mean, these are highly, highly significant uh responses. Okay. But it looks like you don't want to use the caliper if you just look at this. You go, well, I should probably be doing weight loss on ignition. Because I'm showing differences when fertilizer happens on Empire. I'm showing it has an impact on the thatch when I fertilize it on Empire. If I use organic, if I use weight loss on ignition, I should use a scale because it's showing a difference as well, right? But we can't just look at this and assume that. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. Actually, the very next thing I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you why right now. Okay. So those are the stats, and this is this is the study that we didn't really publish because what's what's going to happen is, at some point in the future, I'm probably going to publish this, but all I'm going to show is just this. I'm not going to publish all the other ones. I'm just going to I'm just going to publish the depth by caliper. I'm not going to show all this other stuff because all this other stuff isn't valid, and I'm going to show you why. Even though there's a difference showing, I shouldn't say it's not valid. It's just not as accurate, and I'm going to show you why. I'm just going to use the depth and all I'm going to show is that nothing happened on Empire Jammer BA-189. The only thing that happened was on Totoa Green and Xeon and the only thing that helped it was top dressing. So maybe that's why we didn't publish it. I don't remember now. It's been so many years, but um, anyway, let's get to it. Now, what I did was I took the, um, I took all the data for all the uh, cultivars of zoysia grass and I put on these these charts of those listening. I'm going to do my best to describe this, but it's going to be a little challenging because this is the, the meat and potatoes of this of this paper. Is I put on here really what is kind of the descriptive statistics, the box and whisker plots from the various months that thatch was was sampled. Okay, so on the x-axis, you're going to see June 2013, August 2013, November 2013. April 14, July 14, October 14, April 15, July 15, October 15. So these are all the months that we sampled the, the, the thatch. And on the bottom, um, on the, oh, on, on the, the, uh, that's on the X axis of all the graphs on the Y axis, you have different, the different methods of measuring it. So on the top, we have organic matter by weight loss line ignition right here. Then we have the depth by ruler, we have the mass by weighing, and then we have the compression by the Volk thatch meter. Okay. And what you're going to see here, when you see on Zoya, really any grass, if you're not managing it, um, you know, or you're not oh, any grass that develops thatch, you should see thatch go up, right? And I mean, you, should, I mean, you should see it slowly go up. Let's just start with the, the, the ruler, with the caliper. And that's what you see here with the caliper. You're going to see here that these boxes are very tight. So um, let me briefly explain what these boxes mean. These bars here on a, on a, on a bar, box and whisker indicate the variation of the maximum and minimum uh, numbers, right? So 
or I think it's 95% confidence intervals or whatever. So the, this gives an idea of how spread out the data are. And then the first line, I, I, I have to, I should look this up. The first line is the um, first uh, um, uh, standard deviation. And the middle line is the mean and then, or the mean or the median, I can't remember. And then the bottom line is the, is the bottom uh, standard deviation on the, on the low end. For my, for my memory, I can't, I'm not a stats, you know, perfectionist. Someone can correct me in the, in the chat, but this gives you an idea of how variable the data were. And it gives you an idea of the, of the change over time. Okay. So if the thatch wasn't really changing much, which is what we found in everything except the two, uh, the two matrellas, the box almost the first one is a zoysia japonica cultivar empire so this one we're looking at is empire we showed that the thatch there was there was no, it wasn't like i said it wasn't changing it wasn't influenced by the treatments and so you see it going up you see this slowly going up because none of the treatments were having an impact on thatch and you see the variation of the data within each data collection point is relatively tight compared to the other me measurement methods. Okay, so for example, let's let's say November 2013. This box here is really tight. Okay, that means that that data is super close together. Whereas in November 2013, when you measured it using weight loss on ignition, the, the box is actually still pretty tight, but it's wider. And the, and the error bars are a little bit wider. When you go to the mass using the weight, you see the, the error bars are even more pronounced. Now down here with the compression with the volt thatch meter, it is really tight. But look what happens over time is that there's it goes up, then it goes down, then it goes down again, then it goes up. The variation from one month to the next is tremendous. Even within a month, even though within a month it's tight, there is no clear movement in the thatch over time, which we know doesn't occur. Okay. Especially with the Japonica, the empire, we know it was going up. We know there was no, there was no impact on the thatch from the treatments. Does that make sense? So we should see this, we should see the, the, the thatch slowly going up. And because we see it going up in the, in the caliper with the ruler, and we see the tightness of the data compared to the other measurement methods, this is going to be the method on, on Empire that we would recommend, okay? I hope that makes sense because the very, look here, here's an extreme example. Here's the variation. It goes all the way from 100 down to probably 20 in terms of the variation in July of 2015 using the scale, whereas using the, the depth by, um, by caliper or by ruler, it's much tighter. That probably would have been a better example. And we see we see movement in the data, right? We see a trend that you would expect to see, as opposed to just like random number generators where it's going up, it's going down, it's going up, going down, going up, down, down. I mean, it's there's no clear trend. When we go to the other the other uh, cultivars, Japonica, then we're looking at Jammer, and then we're looking at uh, 489 here on the same page here. You're going to see the same thing. You're going to see the thatch, as you would expect, whenever we, we've shown the treatments didn't have an impact, you would expect it to go up and they slowly go up using the, the depth, the ruler, and you see the tightness of the data relative to the organic matter by weight loss ignition. You see tremendous amount of variation, huge variation in uh, BA-189 variation like crazy. And there's no clear trends of going up or down. It's going up and going down and going up and going down and variation all over creation. Okay, similar to similar, but less magnitude when you see, when you measure it with a scale. And then again, with the thatch meter, you see really tight data, but you don't see a trend really. It's just sort of like a random number generator. You see it up, you see it down, you see it up, you see it down all over the place. Okay. Am I losing you guys? I'm sorry. Maybe I, I'm trying to keep this simple, and I and I that's one of my goals for the channel. And I just realized maybe I maybe I went too far down the stats road. Um, 
Oh, no. Eric says it good, gives a good re visual representation of the quartiles. Yeah, quartiles in a relationship to the mean. Perfect. Okay, so you, it's making some sense. Okay. Now, when we go to the matrellas, similar trend, but even worse for the other measurement methods. So, so depth by ruler, you see some fairly tight, fairly tight numbers relative to the other measurement methods. And it's not going up or down too much, but you can see a little bit of upward trend here. Not going up and down too much. It's kind of flat, not doing too much. But here, the other ones are tremendous variation, a tr ridiculous amount of variation relative to the measurement by ruler. I mean, look at this. This goes off the scale here on on uh, on October tw 2015 using weight loss on ignition. I mean, it's just a lot of variation. Look at the weight loss. Uh, or look at them on mass. Look at this variation here on mass on J April 2014. It's just just all over the place. And then when you go to the compression, the Volk thatch meter, you see variation, but you again you don't see you don't see what you would expect to see when whenever we know that the ANOVA shows there's very little differences in the treatments or very little very little influence on the treatments, I should say. Okay. So in conclusion, um Okay, so in conclusion, this study was unable to provide sufficient evidence supporting the correlation of zoysiagrass thatch measured using the thatch meter with that with thatch measured using weight loss on ignition, ruler, or a balance. The R-squared values and lack of variability in the thatch meter compression indicate the instrument lacks the sensitivity to accurately measure zoysiagrass thatch. So um, this was really the last paper I thought I would ever actually go through <laughs> was this paper. <laughs> And it happens to be, I think, the first paper of mine that I've covered. But I wanted to provide that as a means to set the stage for the next month when we're talking about zoysiagrass thatch measurements. It's not that you can't use weight loss on ignition. It's not that you can't use a scale or you can't use the thatch meter. It's just that when you do, or when it's, when it's shown in the literature that that's what the method was that was used, you have to be a little careful. You have to be a little skeptical. Okay, well, the variation was quite high. Okay, even if you do show a difference, you know, using it, measuring the depth by ruler or by uh, caliper tends to be the most consistent and accurate and precise method. So, so keep that in mind as we go through the next month or so. And as importantly as that is that that means that you as a, lawn care operator or golf superintendent or you know sport turf manager you know saw producer whatever you can achieve the same level of precision and accuracy in the same exact method as, as we do as scientists we're, we're not you know you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on a scale and you know a muffle furnace and all these things you can just go to get up on great probably go on amazon and buy a caliper that can measure say from anywhere from down to as low as maybe you know, quarter to a half an inch to as high as maybe two inches, maybe is probably the most thatch I've ever seen is two to two and a half inches, probably. So if you can get a caliper that'll measure that, that variation or that, that depth or that thickness, you can achieve the same exact numbers and have a great deal of confidence that whatever you're measuring is very close to what we're measuring. It, it, this is the, um, this is not the case in soil testing. And the reason I said is because oftentimes you get these little color, color strips. I'm going to measure pH and I'm going to use these color strips to get an idea what the pH is. The, these are wildly inaccurate, wildly inaccurate. Okay. But that happens to be the most common method that just the average Joe can, can use. Cause you don't, you're not going to go spend $2,500 on a pH meter and a scale and all dry and everything that and doing it. You're not going to do that. You have beakers and pipetters and you're not going to do that. It's not worth your time. You, there may be other pH meters you can do a little bit quicker, but generally they use strips and those are not that accurate. Okay. But in this case, the most accurate method is one that you can go do yourself. You can go get a caliper and there's really no reason to have any less confidence in you doing it than there is in me doing it. If you're using that instrument. Okay. Um, with that being said, I will read through the, the chat. If you have any last minute questions or comments you want me to read through, um, put them in there now. Um, hopefully I didn't lose you too much on the data there, but I wanted to, to do that and make sure we're all talking apples to apples as we move forward here. Um, 
yeah, I keep hearing about this Evie person. I'm not sure who he or her is. I don't, don't know that person, but I keep, <laughs> oh, when you need him. Okay. So it must be a man. Um, it must be a stats person. I don't know. I've heard that before in another stream I had, I guess, um, someone, someone is a stats person, which I highly encourage. I, I'm not a stats person. I have a statistician on speed dial literally. And I, and because when I run into something, uh, one of the best things I've done, and hopefully maybe, maybe you've done this too, is, is find people who are really good at what you're not good at. I don't want to be in a room full of turf fertility specialists who know what I know. <laughs> uh, there's a lot I don't know. I want to be in a, I want to be in a room with people that can fulfill that void I have. So I can't, I can do stats as good as the statistician tells me how to do it. Because when, whenever someone challenges me in a, in a review on statistics, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to send it right to my statistician and say, can you help me with this? And if I didn't have him included in the beginning, he's going to go, you screwed this up. What would you do? So include and, you know, and, and build a team of people who fulfill your shortcomings. I've used that in to great, to great success. And then I, and maybe I'm sure you all do the same thing, but I'm not a stats person. So if you are a stats person, um, you know, <laughs> come on in and, and you can show me a thing or two for sure. Uh, so I don't see anything else in here. Um, precise measurements looks like um, this is something that, that you and you enjoyed eric so hopefully other people can pull something from it we're going to lean on this paper a little bit as i move forward in the next couple of weeks kind of come back to this and make sure you understand that you know that when they when they're talking depth that's a that's a pretty sound solid way of doing it and, and most of them do okay most of the, the thatch measurements uh, do do it through thickness okay uh, tomorrow I'll be on at 10 a.m. about t about 12 hours from now. We had we do we have a real guest author coming in next week. I, today's guest author was me, um, uh, but uh, it took me 35 or 40 papers to get to one of my papers. But uh, next Tuesday uh, is it going to be a little different? We're going to have it in the afternoon because the author can only come on. Uh, I think it was at one or two o'clock in the afternoon on the Eastern time. But look forward to another author next week. And until then, guys, I'm going to leave you guys today with. A little nice, nice little soft music from a little unknown three-man band from Texas. Until then, until tomorrow, be kind. See you then.